Hey, it's me, the mouth of the sound, Jimmy Hart. Hey, check out my new tag team, baby, Money in the Foul. Hey, Jimmy, don't forget to tell them about Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Well, you know what, I would, but you already did it. Monty and the Pharaoh. With Monty and Pharaoh. The Monty and Pharaoh show. Monty and Pharaoh, bro. Monty and the Pharaoh. Monty and the Pharaoh. Monty and the Pharaoh. The Monty and Pharaoh show. And you're watching the Monty and Pharaoh show. Monty and the Pharaoh. With Monty and the Pharaoh. 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 Oh, is it Monty and the Pharaoh? Monty and Pharaoh. The Monty and the Pharaoh show. Monty and the Pharaoh. To the Monty and the Pharaoh show. And it's Monty and the Pharaoh, baby. Monty and the Pharaoh. Monty and the Pharaoh. Monty and the Pharaoh. Oh, what a run. Monty and the Pharaoh. Monty and the Pharaoh. Hey, cut the fucking music. When you want the best in professional wrestling, Long Island, there's only one place you're going to get it. Right here, Monty and the Pharaoh. <laughs> now, that's not just the coolest. And that's not just the best. That, my friends, is just incredible. <laughs> Monty and the Pharaoh. You've got the future Hall of Famer, that rocker, Marty Gennetti, and MJ in the house, and I'm sitting here with two more future Hall of Famers, Monty and the Pharaoh. We're doing that stuff, and we're going to rock it. Welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast out of Indie Music TV here out of Ronkonkoma, Long Island. At the board is our producer, Matt. Matt, how are you? Hey, Matt, check it out. On cable, when I ask that question, you can't hear you because you don't turn on your mic. What? Whoop, whoop. Weep, whoop. How you doing, Matt? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> touche. Poor guy, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, Matt. We love Sorry. Matt here. Yeah. Man. To the right, to <laughs> my right is the star of the <laughs> show, Mr. Jimmy Fowler. Jimmy, how are you? Hello, once again out there in TV land, back again for another fabulous episode. What's and, up, partner? Uh, hanging in there, brother, hanging in there. Yeah, very good. Uh, you know, we've got our special guest coming up, but uh, I want yes. to take a moment to recognize the uh, passing of uh, Mr wrestling number two Ooh. you have any opinions on that my friend uh yeah uh, a giant during the territory days we're talking the early 80s as far as my most vivid memories of mr wrestling two i do remember him being at the top of a lot of cards back in those days uh former champion uh former tag team champion dominant in georgia dominant in louisiana i don't know if you remember the super card from the superdome that they did but two was right at the top of the card this was a he was big time he was big time. Mr. We were, Wrestling 2 was a legend. We were talking before the show, 
um, my memories of Mr. Wrestling, too. Obviously, I watched a lot of George Championship Wrestling mm -hmm. like you did, right? Sure. And I remember when Vince brought him up to the Northeast, and <laughs> when he makes his first appearance, I'm all excited because, uh, yeah. hey, Mr. Wrestling 2 is going to kick some ass. Yeah, and guess what? And Vince just squashed him. And that never made any sense to me, right? So, no, me neither. Anyway. Uh, great wrestler, though. Great wrestler, and peace. he'll be missed. Legend. Rest in peace. Well Absolutely. Done. Well done. I'd like to thank the band that sings the theme song for Monty and the Pharaoh, Aqua Cherry. They sing such songs as Straight to the Top. Also catch their other songs, Yes, Yes, Forever and Seasons. Aqua Cherry's music can be found on Spotify, iTunes, Reverb Nation, or where music is sold. And on the other half of the show is our other band, Wisteria Hall, led by our own Jimmy Farrell, along with his partner, Mr. Bart Griggs. Hmm. Uh, the... the Outro song is In My Dreams. Yeah. You could also hear some of their other songs like This Life. Yeah. Not Far Behind. Yeah. Here Comes a Rain. Produced by the legendary Eddie Kramer. And let's, Eddie let's Kramer just, is, by the way. Let people, you know, anyone by the doesn't way. know who Eddie Kramer Jimmy is. Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, by the way. Uh, just that we'd throw that in. A lot Thank of famous you, people. Absolutely. Oh, and Kiss, by the way. He did Kiss? <laughs> what album Kiss did he Alive. do? He did Kiss Alive. He did Kiss Alive, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun. Good enough for you. Good enough for Good me. Good enough for me. By the way, that's a very interesting story. At the time, Eddie had two projects to choose from. You will find this interesting. And he's, he listens to one cassette, and he goes, it's 1975, by the way. And he goes, wow, this is fantastic. Then he listens to the other cassette, and he goes, okay, I could see me helping this. So he calls the first one, and he goes to this newcomer with their debut album. They're shopping it to Eddie because they want Eddie to produce it. And he goes... I'm sorry, but this is the best thing. I, I, this is fantastic. I don't need to touch this. It turned out to be the debut album from Boston. Wow. The other band was Kiss, and he wound up doing Kiss Alive, and Kiss took off because Kiss was about to get dropped from the label right before Kiss Alive. So Eddie comes in, Kiss Alive, a billion platinum. I want to rock and roll all night. The rest is history. That Eddie Kramer. And he did the Love Gun album. He did Love Gun. I Thank love you. Love Gun. Yeah. Anyway, you could catch Wisteria Hall's music yeah. on Spotify, iTunes, Reverb Nation, or where music is sold. Yeah. And we're shooting a video, too, by the way. Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. That's why you couldn't That's get me on the phone the other day. I bet you thought I was just drinking. You're now a movie star also. What? You're no. On, you're, you're on Long no. Island One Pro Wrestler Broadcast. Okay, Probably fine. the best pro wrestler okay, broadcast. You're the star of that show. Fair enough. No, now you're a movie so star. So are you. Would now you? you're a movie star. Oh, okay. Right. Anyway. I'm a movie Monty star. Monty DeFaro can be seen on YouTube, Facebook Live on the Monty DeFaro page, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor, Twitch TV, Monty and DeFaro, RTF Sports Network uh. every Friday from 6 to seven, yeah. our guest will be starring on that show ah. tomorrow, and we'll be announcing our guests in a minute. Yeah, early risers can be seen on Saturdays at six a.m. to six thirty on channel one fifteen, and on Tuesdays from eight thirty to nine p.m. on one fifteen. Yeah, soon to be on CBS for what? all the haters out there. What? Yep. Wow, the things you unleash on me on the I air. am working it. Oh, We've got a couple good. of surprises. Stay tuned to us because we got a lot of crazy surprises that, coming up. That is true. Anyway, before we get to our special guest, Jimmy and I would like to take a moment to show the respect for the people who have lost their lives and the people who are on the front lines during this time of crisis. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Our special guest on tonight's show is the WWE and UWF's 
own and who we consider a friend, Mr. Sunny Beach. We will get to Sunny Beach right after we take a commercial break. Be right back. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and Afaro, seen every Thursday, produced out of indie music TV in Ronkonkoma, New York. And let's welcome the iconic Mr. Sonny Beach. Sonny, how are you, sir? Thank you for having me, guys. Monty and Afaro show. <laughs> Thank Faro. you for coming on. Sonny, haven't seen you since you were at our gimmick table at the big event. What's been going on? How's oh, things holding up? A lot of good up? stuff going on. Uh, happened to have uh, coronavirus. What? I was out of commission for about three weeks. Three. And, uh, my son, Austin, had it. My wife had it. Rosie and I had it. And uh, thank God we're all doing better now. And uh, a lot of our friends, you know, are doing better that had it. And um, a couple of people we know passed away. So, you know, I'm, I'm uh, mourning the loss of a couple of dear friends that um, passed away. And hopefully, uh, you know, we'll all get through this, you know, sooner than later. Do you, do you have a message out there for people that may think this is fake news and uh, it's, it's not uh, what it's it is? It's real deal, people. I mean, I, I've, I've never been uh, hit as hard as I was, uh, you know, the high temperatures, a fever. Can you tell people, like, what like what was it like? Uh, the symptoms. I, I, I was quarantined. I went right to the hospital. I wasn't feeling good. My son wasn't feeling good. So we went and we got swabbed and uh, make sure we didn't have the virus, but actually we did. And uh, they sent me home, and I had to stay quarantined. I was in my bedroom for 18 days straight. Wow. Didn't leave my bedroom. Had my own, you know, private bathroom and stuff. And just stayed in there, and my wife took care of me. And then as soon as I was, you know, getting better, she got sick. So, you know, oh, so your wife, you out, your wife actually got it too. My wife got it too. So me, my son, and my wife, everybody lived in my house. Oh, my it. God. God bless. So, uh, How do you think you came in contact with it? And please don't say the big event. Wait a minute, hold on. Can I just tell a quick story? <laughs> what? A quick story. We're going to do the big event, right? And it's the beginning of the corona thing. We were debating. Right? And, my, and I'm like, I'm really shocked that they're not going to shut this down. Yeah, yeah. And my wife goes, she's like, you son of a bitch. You can't go. So I pick she's, up Rick. We do Rick's work in the gimmick table. She's right. And me and Rick Tony are talking Atlas. about how oh, and Tony Atlas was there at, at the gimmick table. was a combination. I got of it Rick. from the, the big event. I mean, I don't know where I got it from. And that was the last place that I was around a lot of people. The Saba Simba yeah, stick? So here, here lies the problem. Oh, man. So I don't know. I might have just, you know, me and Rick text or, or you know, once a week or whatever. Okay. I, he goes... I'm like, how you doing? And he's like, I got coronavirus. <laughs> so I go like this. Yeah, right, motherfucker. Sure you do. <laughs> and he goes, that what you oh, I'm serious. Saying? And he sends a picture. Oh. My heart dropped into my stomach, and I said to my wife, Rick's got coronavirus. And she's I like, lost you 25 pounds Jesus. of the coronavirus. The corona diet, I call it. Oh, my God. The corona diet. I, do you think you really caught it from big event? You know, I don't. I, I, I can be honest. I don't know where I caught it from. Dude, I, I was washing your hands on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, I had we had the, the, the sanitizer with us. I mean, yeah. we were cleaning every time I go to the restaurant. But you were eating them ribs hands. with your hands. I would, you know. You were eating those ribs with the hands. supposed to eat them with? Um, right. Yeah, we, 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 had, we ate pretty good that weekend, <laughs> I, I got to admit. I'm trying. Um, but <laughs> we, you know, Rick, because we're, we're going to do the big event in November, and Rick's going to gimmick be at the gimmick table. But Rick says to me, "I hope you get a better place, like a better 
table sex. Uh, situation we were put in the right. at the, the big event last year. But uh, I said to Rick, I said, thank God. I, I'm glad. I wanted to be in a corner. I mean, maybe the, the virus ended up in that corner. Or yeah, maybe, it didn't you know, work we out protected. so good for I don't him. know, but uh, <laughs> I definitely got it right after the, the wow. big event. And it could have been my son's friends because my son was on a show on Bravo Network called Below Deck Sailing right. Yacht. Him and six of his friends from Long Island went on it. And um, he had a viewing party over at my house. So we, we had a bunch of kids with friends over at the house, about 20 people watching it. We ordered pizza, wings, everything. And four of his friends contacted cor- uh, coronavirus, too. Wow. So it could have been some of his friends that were at the house that, that brought it over to my home. Or it could have been the big event. Or it could have been anywhere, maybe out in the street, grocery store. You never know, especially all the people that contacted this virus. Well, I want, I want, to, I want you to understand the pressure I'm under. So you have it, right? You, I, have and it. I find out you have it. So now I'm panicking, right? So now I'm counting 14 days. Then I have a bunch of guys that work for me, right? And one of my guys got it. Oh wow! So we had to shut it down. I'm the only one working now, but every day I'm counting 14 days, and I'm like, you know. Then I find out one of the customers who visited me in between wow. got it. And I'm like counting 14 days. And I mean, it's, it's, listen, dude, there's people dying out there. And it's yeah. not even a nice death, right? It's a Can, suffering, torturous you suffer. death. You suffer with it. And all these people on ventilators, I mean, I was praying to God that I wouldn't get put on a ventilator. I mean, I had a heart attack September 30th, I right. quadruple bypass surgery. Then I get coronavirus. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I don't know what's next, you know. And Did you I'm, feel like you were close to like you couldn't breathe? It was that bad? A couple of times. I got really dehydrated. My body temperature went down to 92 degrees. Now I had to go to the hospital oh, and they shit. gave me four I- bags of IV to rehydrate me. Um, that's how sick I was. And I spent the night, two nights in Huntington Hospital with the corona. And then, uh, I wouldn't let him put, you know, there was no way I was going to go on a ventilator because then I, I knew I was a goner. Yeah, pretty much, I think. So I said, take me home. I want to you know, heal at home. Were they talking about putting you on a ventilator? They were talking about it. They said, you have trouble breathing? I said, no. And I didn't have any trouble breathing. I just had a temperature. And my one doctor told me the reason that I I didn't, I made it through was because I'm on a a blood pressure medicine called Losartan. And it fought the, the, you know, the virus. So it wouldn't let the virus attach to my, you know, uh, system, I guess. So that was one of the main things that helped me. Plus, I was taking high volt, you know, multivitamins and vitamin C, and that that helped out a lot too. From what I tell. So they me. gave the guy who worked for me um, that drug, the malaria drug. Right. That supposedly and works. It, it. It. He told me in 24 hours it went away. He he still was coughing. Right. Because he had you know shit in his lungs still, but. Um, Try not to curse. I'm also, with the new station, I'm trying to be more professional. Have, have you noticed I've been better? Yeah, you've been pretty fucking good. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. Good. Well, anyway, anyway, long story short, it seemed like a work. Well, let's talk about something really nice. <laughs> so how do you like the new studio, Sonny? Oh. Uh, your studio is beautiful. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a great show. Oh, sure. and, uh you know, I see nothing but bigger things from Monty and the Pharaoh going forward. 2020, it's a coronavirus year, but it's also going to be the year of Monty and the Pharaoh. I have big expectations of you guys. Pressure's on. I, I appreciate on. Now that. the pressure's on. All right, so it's question and answer time, my friend. A few weeks back, uh, Dark Side of the Ring was on. Ooh, you yes. were one of the main stars. Uh, about... <laughs> I don't know about a star, but I had a little I, bit to do You were prominent in it. Nice show. In fact, a... I was proud. I'm like, that's my boy on TV. <laughs> that's my boy. You know, it was a pleasure to do that and try to make Herb look a, a little bit better than what he was portrayed in uh, all this. But, you know, you can't change history pretty much. I mean, everybody knows that Herb liked to party. And Herb, you know... Tried to do the right thing, you know, trying to start his own promotion. 
you know, which was part of the, the main thing of the show. And you saw on the show that all the boys that were on the show liked him. Brian Blair. Well, uh, let, Cactus, let me ask Nick you this. Foley. Let me ask you this question. When do you first meet her? One. And then two, I never saw. We were talking about this earlier, too. I never saw that so many people who'd never got paid be so happy about it. You know, he treated everybody well. I mean, he there wasn't a, a bad bone in his body. He never really meant to hurt anybody. I mean, yeah, if he didn't have the money to pay, yeah, he, he tried to jerk the boys around, you know, with the paydays. If he didn't have the money or maybe the, the funds weren't getting transferred or the sponsorship didn't come in or the TV syndication money didn't come in. There was all, I, I was on both sides of the fence, so I saw, you know, in the office standpoint, I saw what he was going through in the office standpoint. And I also saw, you know, him negotiating deals. I mean, he made a million dollars off of Sports Channel America just yeah. by, you know, selling the show to Sports Channel America. So he made money. But, you know, where did all the money go? That's the million-dollar question. Well, but all the boys liked him, and the first time I met Herb was at John Arizzi's convention when he came to New York when we were all at the autograph show uh, for John Arizzi over at the LaGuardia Hotel uh, many years ago. Bruno San Martino was there, a special autograph guest. Georgia Metropolis was there from Wrestling Chatterbox. And she's the one that actually put me in touch with Herb as well as Bruno San Martino. You had a relationship with Bruno? I had a little relationship back when Bruno was with WWF and then when he was with Wrestling Chatterbox. And I had him at a couple of autograph shows we did years ago, him and Captain Lou. And when I was promoting some shows, uh, you know, uh, I always respected Bruno, always, uh, you know, looked up to him, you know, idolized him, you know, growing up. Him, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, you know, were three of my biggest, uh, you know, wrestling, uh, you know, heroes growing up. Mm. Billy Jack Haynes, Bob Orton Jr., Brian Blair, Cactus Jack, Colonel De Beers, Dan Spivey, David Sammartino, Don Morocco, Ivan Koloff, Ken Patera, Paul Orndorff, Steve Williams, top homegrown talent like Steve Ray, Luis Piccoli. Of course, there was other legends than there's you. So I've got to ask you, how persuasive was Herb Abrams when he was first pitching this idea to the wrestlers of this industry, how persuasive was this man? Herb took all these guys out, wined and dined them, spent money on them, treated them with respect. A lot of promoters don't treat you with respect. You know, you're just a name and a number to them. You're, what can you do for them? You know, you're, they bring you in, they give you a couple of shots, maybe you draw some money if you're a headliner. You know, back in the territory days, you know, you worked big big matches like you were talking about the Superdome with Mr. Wrestling number two mm. rest in peace Johnny Walker mm. I got to work a lot of shows with Johnny back when we were with Peach State Wrestling Southern Championship Wrestling with Jerry Blackwell he, he used to mentor all us young guys myself Ray Lloyd Glacier uh, Steve the Brawler Lawler down in Atlanta uh, R.D. Swain Ted Oates Jerry Oates I mean all these guys in the locker room Tony Atlas Chick Donovan Wrestling, too, was like the main guy down there. Everybody looked up to him. They'd bring in Abdullah to work with him, Tony Atlas. I mean, these guys took time out to help these young green guys like myself starting out in the business in the early 80s, and I have nothing but respect for them. You know, Johnny Walker, his wife Olivia used to make the robes for Paul Orndorff, Greg Valentine, Ric Flair. Um, you know, a lot of guys in the business, I mean, there was a huge, you know, respect for, for the Walker family. Mm. You know, and, uh, I, you know, John Jr. was a referee. He refereed with us a lot down at Peach State Wrestling Southern Championship. So I got to spend a lot of time with these guys. And today's the fifth-year anniversary of Dusty Rhodes passing. Mm. Um, three days ago was our 29th-year anniversary of Beach Brawl with the UWF. 
so there's a lot of you know history going on a lot of good a lot of bad um you know the bad is you know some of my heroes are passing away like dusty Rhodes. i mean that really hit home now wrestling too who i had a relationship too with you know these these guys were heroes to me and mentors and you know, legends growing up and, you know, taking a young green guy and like Bruno and, and giving you pointers. And, you know, he didn't have to do that. This guy already made it in the business. He's established. He didn't have to tell me, oh, Sonny, maybe, you know, grab a hold and maybe fire up on him and make your big comeback. And, you know, their facial expressions and, you know, really, you know, get emotional about it, you know, and, and they didn't have to do that. But they did that for me. And I, I appreciate each and every one of them, what they did for me in my career. I got to tell you one thing, you know, after getting to know you, you really do love the business and you love the boys. I can see it in your eyes when you oh, yeah. when, when, when we're at events and you're seeing some of the guys that, you know, you haven't seen in a while. You could see it, it's it is a camaraderie. It's like, it's it's like a, it's old a, college yeah. buddies, you know, like, you know, you spend more time on the road with some of the boys than you did with your own family. You know, uh, you're on the road two, two, two weeks, back home two days, back on the road for three weeks, back home for two days. You know, you become – that's your wrestling family, you know, and, and you respect that. And if anyone hasn't noticed, we have the UWF title, right, on the table here. That was from uh, Blackjack Brawl, the MGM uh, Grand Championship that I beat Dr. Feelgood for, managed by Missy Hyatt. Uh-huh. Um, back – and that was back at MGM, uh, paper, the second pay-per-view we did with the UWF. So I wanted to bring that and show you guys that today and show the fans, you know, and – the belts are real. They're still here. They're still part of wrestling history, folklore, you know. Evan and the boys from uh, Dark Side of the Ring, they wanted to wear them and take pictures with them and everything. And that's why I bring them to some of these uh, autograph shows we go to, you know, like uh, uh, the main events and stuff like that that we do, WrestleCon, so the fans can get to see them, get to wear them, get to touch them. And, you know, I try to give back to the fans, you know, that have done so much for me and my family. That's why I try to, you know, do the right thing for, you know, all the wrestling fans out there. All right, with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're back with the star of the show, Mr. Sonny Beach. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro, seen every Thursday, produced out of Indie Music TV in Ron Cockham in New York. To my right is the star of the show, Mr. Jimmy Farrow, and the other star of the show is Mr. Sonny Beach. Sonny, one thing um, I did not remember or realize was that Andre the Giant wrestled in the uwf i never remembered that how did that even happen i don't think he ever wrestled with us but he did a couple promos with us with uh, captain lou when he went out to Reseda, california um how'd you guys pull that off herb um he dangled a golden carrot in front of him i mean andre was you know on the twilight of his career you know he had a lot of health issues at the time and uh vince wasn't really using him a lot at that time he was going back and forth to japan still for giant baba and um he brought him in a couple of times and he did promos and the giants coming and, you know, just having the name Andre, the giant on your card or associated with your promotion. I mean, that was huge back when Herb was starting out sports channel. America went crazy for it. How about Herb, you? You must've been like, this is going to happen. Like, this wow, is gonna work. We got Andre. I said, you gotta be kidding me. And Herb goes, yep, we got him. And Herb would talk to me, would run ideas off me. You know, I respected Herb. I guess he respected me or my opinion. And I got to be, you know, pretty close with Herb when he moved back to New York, uh, 
He opened up an office here in New York, right in the Blippi headquarters, right next to Seven Penn Plaza, right next to the Madison Square Garden. And he was going to, you know, start UWF off again. And he was going to syndicate shows over in Germany and Austria. And he wanted to do shows in Israel and do some overseas tours, Australia. So he was trying to get his shows back out of the tapes he already had in his can from Sports Channel and all that. He was trying to sell those, a Fury Hour and the, the pay-per-views, Blackjack Brawl, Mix-Up Tapes, Beach Brawl. And try to get more, you know, footage out there, having guys come in and do promos. Captain New was working with us in the office. Johnny Valiant was in the office with myself. And, you know, he has two major players that were with Vince, you know, former champions and manager of champions. And, I mean, and he was, you know, really going to try to make it a go. And he was trying to get sponsorship and get syndicated overseas. And, and it was about to happen when, he, you know, he, he, he died. One statement that I remember from the documentary that that made me wonder. One wrestler referred when he was first starting up the idea and making the pitch and starting the promotion, Herb Abrams of the UWF. During the documentary, a wrestler refers to him as, "Hey, did you hear? There's a mark from the East Dude, Coast, and he's starting something you're good, up." Boy, I was just thinking that. And I and, I and I thought I got two things from the statement. He says, "Hey, to another wrestler amongst the boys, as word was getting yeah. out that he was forming the promotion, he goes, "Hey, this mark from the East Coast is starting up a new promotion. And he's got a lot of money, right? And he's got a lot of money." So, two things I thought about at the time that I wanted to ask you. Number one, and this really is important to me: Does the term "mark" come originally from wrestlers themselves towards? Is this from wrestlers themselves? Yeah, that's from Mar- yeah, Did this leak onto the keyboard? Can I, can people? I, can I, does can it, does it originate from wrestlers themselves? We in reference Mark's to people can who I pull are it? Fans. I want to pull it back a second. So the the colonel, I guess I don't really know the guy. Yeah, the colonel. The colonel. Yeah. So he's the one that makes the statement. Was right? he the one? Yes. Okay. So I was thinking when it was first approached to you, are you like? This guy's a mark, and I'm going to take him for his money. Right? Or was he, like what? Like leading. To I the, know you build a relationship with him later, but it's like, what's was, your thought process? Was he taken seriously? That, I was like, uh, you know, Colonel Red was just a, a independent wrestler down from South Carolina. I mean, he was a manager, and nobody really knew nothing of him. And you know, I don't know how he even got involved with uh, the <laughs> UWF. Guy, to be honest with he you, he shouldn't even be in the documentary. I mean, Who is this guy? Uh, <laughs> I really? Think they gave him way too well, much time. That's but, pretty uh, funny. Well, he had a picture with Jimmy Valiant, so I guess that gave him so street credit. Maybe, so maybe that gave him street credit, exactly. The boogeyman oh, vouched for him, maybe. Go. I don't know. But, uh, We're best friends. He, he was only on a couple of shows with, you know, uh, us, you know, with the UWF. And, uh I, I don't know. Well, they made it seem on a documentary. He's running a whole angle with Herb Abrams. It was like, well, they, you know. They did a little angle, and, and you know, and. Herb was up for anything, and if, if Herb he was sh- high or whatever, he, he probably, you know, loved the idea and went for it, and Herb always wanted to wrestle, but, you know, he was never that big, you know, and he was a little bit bigger than a midget, but a little bit smaller, uh, than, you know, uh, than a dwarf. How, so, yeah. how, but, how, how influential, if any at all, because Mr. McMahon character appears a few years later, right. but how influential was Herb Abrams making himself, the owner, the center of attraction. We're talking years before Mr. McMahon. He, I can't get over him covered Herb in blood going, I'm going to get involved. you. I mean, Herb was a fan since growing up. You know, right. He was a big Bruno fan. Right. Bruno idolized Bruno growing up. That's why right. Bruno was with us. Yeah. Um, but Herb wanted to be part of the show. And Herb, whether it was announcing, whether it was ring announcing, whether it was commentating, whether if he had to get in a ring, if he was go up to the ringside and do ringside interviews, um, 
You'll see that from the beginning of the UWF with Ludwig Vorga, the Viking. He got up in Tony Helm's face, and you know, and he, Tony Helm, you know, was belittling him on camera. Uh, he got up in front of the Power Twins a couple of times. He got up in front of me and Steve Wild Thing Ray a couple of times. Got in between us a couple of times, a little pushing and shoving. He got involved. Uh, South Carolina, when we were filming down there, he got involved with Colonel Red and a little angle down there. I think with Ivan Koloff. So he he would put himself in different situations that he really shouldn't have been in. And we really didn't plan some of them. It just was spontaneous. It just happened. So, but he always wanted to be part of the show, Herb. How about, how true is it, his West Coast pitch to Vince McMahon? That was true. He had a meeting with Vince. He went to the offices and they met. But, you know... Uh, is this while the UWF is going, or has he not started yet? I think this was right in the infancy of the UWF. When it was so how was he able to even get in Vince's office then? I don't know. Uh, uh, Herb could Boy. You know, weasel his way in it anywhere. Herb had a gift of gab, and he was likable. That's what people don't understand. He was very likable. He was very charming. He was very funny. Um, he had a great personality. He'd make you laugh. Can, you, mean, can you clear up where his cash came? Was it the clothing business in New York? The clothing business. I'm a big girl now. Uh, he had okay. a big woman's yeah, clothing but he, line. He stuff. went to Sports Channel and, and got a million dollars from his, him. His wife, Murray Lee, uh, his first wife, I guess. Uh, out in California, the Asian wife, as I call her, the dragon lady. That's what all the boys used to call her. Mm. But um, Wait a minute. He was having all these parties while he was married? He had parties he was cheating he was on married. his wife? Oh, would you? He, 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 <laughs> I guess he was separated at the time, maybe. I don't know for for sure. But when I first met him, he was still married. Okay. And Murray was his wife at the time when they were still married. and um, so, You know, people said that she had money. People said that he got investors. So there was always like a cloud of secrecy. We never really talked about where his money came from. Well, you mentioned before the show that he also was, he had associates like Lon Trust from the Yankees. Yeah, so he Lon, knew some pretty powerful uh, people. And, some, you know, he, he, when he came to New York and with Sports Channel and whoever negotiated that deal with him, mm-hmm. Ted Felix, Lon Trust, uh, mm-hmm. there was a bunch of people. There was a couple guys in Jersey that he was dealing with that, that were financial backers and, and were sponsors and stuff like that with the UWF. So Todd, um, I forgot his last name, but there was, you know, quite a few people that, you know, Herb was in bed with, you know, on the financial side that I didn't know too much about. I, I was at dinners with a lot of people, and uh, he had, would introduce me to people, and I was in their offices, and I was around them a lot. But I didn't know to what extent, you know, he was in bed with the, which people. How many episodes would you tape? Like, so you did 26 episodes, you said, for the for the first Furious, for, right? We usually would shoot, like, 13 weeks and get those in the can and stuff, like Sports Channel and stuff. And then if they renew, they'd do another 13 weeks. And everything. Now, did they pay you by match, or they paid you for I think the taping? for the season. I think it was you'd have to have a certain amount of tapes in the can, and that's why. You know, and how much would you get paid for that? You know, it would depend. Depend on you know if he had a contract with you or he would pay you per DM you know per night or per show or whatever. A lot of people didn't have contracts; they would just come in and work for him. And no, I, well, I it really kind of it contract. kind of makes sense, right? You come in, you get your shot, you tape your thirteen shows, you get paid, and then you go wrestle somewhere else. Right, and like uh, when Global wanted me and Steve Ray to go down there and work their tag team tournament for Global Championship when they were down in Texas, we went down there. I was under no contract with Herb, but then Herb called up Global and said we were under contract with him to to cease and desist and 
and all that stuff. And he had somebody send something. When I was never under contract. So did you call Herb and go, what? I said, Herb, what are you doing? Yeah. I said, I'm an independent contractor. I can work wherever I want. And when I was working with UWF, I worked a few shots with Vince and them, you know, yeah. TVs and stuff. And then I went to Japan and, uh, you know, worked for Baba. So I was doing my own thing. I was working up and down the East Coast, Rob Russin, Tommy D, IWA. Um, so we'll, we'll go back, Bob though, Russin. right? So you're an independent contractor. Right. He gives you a cease and desist. Did Global stop you guys then? Said you can't? Back then, Joe Petticino was one of the main hosts at Global. And, you know, they were on ESPN. And uh, they, they brought us in for the tag team. And they wanted to do something with us. But then after that, they really couldn't do nothing with us because Herb made a problem for us. And then Steve Ray had a falling out with Herb a little bit. And then he, he was off TV. And I was like, well, I guess no more wet and wild, you know. Yeah. And, that's why we, we kind of went separate, you know, at, at Blackjack Brawl. You know, he did a singles match. I did a singles match with Dr. Feelgood and all that other stuff. So, mm. it, you know, Herb did whatever Herb wanted to do, you know. And, and you could do – you had creative control when you were with Herb. Me and Mick Foley were talking about this on another night. We were on a show with John and Rizzi, Pro Wrestling Spotlight, with Evan from Dark Side of the Ring, the producer. And we were talking about UWF and anything went with Herb. You know, you throw some ideas up to him and he would go with it. How often did you find his improv card being pulled, though? Because he did, like, for example, with Steve Ray, take a swing at me. The yeah. incident where he said, like, how often did he do that? And did that ever step on some of the toes of the wrestlers who you just said had freedom? Did this ever, did it ever crisscross, ever? A little bit. But okay. Not, not to the extent where, you know, it was noticeable. Okay. I mean, if you had a booker, a strong booker, and, and you had your matches planned out, and you had your talents planned out, the shows, you know. I tried to stress that to Herb. Herb, you can't go into a place that we're not on, on TV or you're not promoing it or you're not on radio spots or doing any television ads or, or your show's not playing every week. you got to have that before you go into a territory. For the TV, the weekly episodic situation, was Blackjack the booker, Blackjack Mulligan, or was that? Not really. I only saw was Blackjack he more... a couple of times. So he, he was, was an on, was it more on air, he his role? A lot. He, he was only at a handful of shows that okay. we were on. Okay, okay. So, and he didn't really book us. I mean, you know, Herb would book me, or Lonnie, uh, Lenny Duke would book okay. us. Okay. Wasn't Blackjack in jail at the time when that whole thing was going <laughs> what on? What is going well, on? Yeah, that's what they... they said, yeah. They, wow. You know, when he was here, uh, when Herb came to New York, I think Blackjack was in jail at that time. Uh, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that, but that's mm. what they said. But he was never really a booker. You know, people that would book, you know, Brian Blair maybe helped out with some of the booking, uh, you know, some of the matches. Um Lon, Lon, uh, Lenny Duke would would help out, you know, with some of the stuff. Um, it was. You mentioned thirteen episodes per season. Let's say, quote unquote, or at at a, at a clip. Right. Were these all done in like a couple we of days, a spread out? I mean, how do you at, do at the, the Pennsylvania 13... Hotel? We would come to New York, and, and that's where he made his headquarters. He worked okay. out some deal with the Pennsylvania Hotel right across from Madison Square Garden. Okay, and we would come in and do TV tapings there. And he would always have a, you know, is in their their grand ballroom. He'd always have three, four, five hundred people there, and he always put on decent matches there. Mm -hmm. But the matches we filmed for maybe five hours a night, you know, okay. and we'd try to tape as much as we could. We would do interviews all afternoon. Um, we'd do some on location stuff. We would do most of the stuff there in the hotel, you know, a handheld and a boom mic and, you know, and, and, you know, do a captain's corner with captain Lou Albano or, you know, Bruno maybe would interview a Craig DeGeorge, you know, he'd had some Brian Rico and those guys from sports channel America. Did Bruno so, and did Bruno and Albano take him seriously? 
They, I think they were both there for a payday. I know Lou was there for a payday. I, 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 I think Bruno would always tell him, you need to do it this way. And he would listen to Bruno. He, he respected Bruno. And he would listen to him. But Herb did what Herb wanted to do. You know, um, Herb would tell him, Bruno would tell him how to run shows, how to do TV. He would try to show him things. And would Herb listen? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. You know, we tried to have structure there. But, you know, different guys were coming in every week. Right. You know, every, uh, you know, maybe he bounced a check to somebody. They're not coming to work for him the next TV taping. Or maybe somebody got hired back to WWF. I know he had Rick Rude. He had Greg Valentine, honky-tonk man at TV tapings at the Pennsylvania Hotel. And then Vince, you know, sent him a cease and desist. He couldn't show him on TV. They were still under contract. All these guys Wait, they were under contract, but they weren't wrestling for the WWE. Yeah, they came in and they they were filmed in the audience. They were filmed there. They were filmed at John Rizzi's convention. You know. So and, there lies my confusion again. At that he, time, he I don't think there were guaranteed contracts, right? So weren't you independent contractors? We were independent contractors, yeah. But you know, we would get W, you know, ten ninety nine forms at the end of the year. We had to pay for our own hotels, right. our own rental cars, our own food. So how could Vince stop? them from wrestling are you guys to be honest with you i don't know Uh, he's got an iron clad contract or something that guys can't get out of and even when they they're done working with them they have to wait you know three six a year whatever it might be months before they can come work for another promotion another territory unless your contract runs out and you don't renew it like maybe like some of the guys in AEW and maybe he gave well, them a grant. See that, them a that's release. some like it's always I think it's we've had a strong stance that we feel that as an independent contractor you should be able to work res- wherever you want. But right? you're also responsible to take care of your own health insurance and your own life. But you should be able to do whatever you want. Right. Again, the right. punishment may be you can't wrestle in the WWE anymore. I'm not going to use you anymore because you're not listening to me. That's that, his right. That's probably what but happened back then. Vince was probably like, "Hey, go ahead. You want to do that? Guess what? You'll never come back here again." And I'm pretty consistent historically so if you really want to roll the dice good luck to you but everybody all the all the big time <laughs> talent knew you know there was nowhere else to go right you know right. Vince you know was buying WCW or he was doing you know the head up wars with them um, everybody knew it was inevitable he brought up all, all the stars from all other territories so you know where, where are you going to go other than Vince go to Japan describe the UWF locker room feel during its, its like run. A, anything went. It was like one big party. It was like, you okay. know, like you're joking around. I mean, it was a great atmosphere. I mean, there was a lot of camaraderie, all the boys having fun, joking around. It wasn't like a tight, you know, like, you know, all business, you know. But, I mean, did a guy like Rude, who was coming off a, a, a good amount, well, I don't know if Rude, yeah, yeah, coming off a pretty high-level WWE oh career. He was, yeah. Does he come oh in feeling God, like yeah. he's special, like, back out, I'm Rick Rude, you know. <laughs> he, 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 Rick Rude, rain. I mean, Sid. He came and worked. I mean, you know, and this was, you know, after, you know, I guess he was champion with Vince and everything. So they were right. So he had the talent there to really make an impact on the wrestling business, but he didn't have the financial backing. And we, me and all the boys talk about me and Mick Foley, me and John Arizzi talk about it, Brian Blair. Um, You know, if he would have put his money and invested in, you know, maybe somebody putting together a business plan. You know, run it like a business, well, you need, not you, like a party. This reminds me of another place we were just talking about. Right. right. You need writers. You need producers. You need quality people. So uh, Lenny Duge, am I saying his last Lenny Duge. Lenny Duge. D-U-G-E. Very Duke. emotional during yeah. this. Lenny during and this. were best friends. I mean, without, yeah. without Lenny, 
UWF would have fell apart. Well, what's, what was his role, actually? And then did he, he worked write? for NBC Studios. Okay. He was a, a film and edit guy. He was with The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno. He worked for them for like 26 years or something like that. Um, and he loved wrestling. Loved wrestling. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. Um, he set up, he knew how the production end of it. So without the production end of it, he would have never been on Sports Channel America. And he needed Lenny to book the shows, book the the, the cameramen, book the, the lighting companies, book right. the riggers and, you know, everybody else to do all that stuff. So, again, we talked about, you know, maybe not getting paid, but he took care of you guys and it was a good time. Now, this guy, Lenny, he's got a good reputation. He probably brings in people he knows, cameramen. Oh, hey, yeah. I need you guys. And then all of a sudden, you know, Abrams is stiffing these guys. That I mean, how does Lenny part. have this close relationship, like, feel? Like, I thought that was amazing that Probably he cared difficult. so much about the guy, but that guy was stiffing his he own people. He was stiffing people, and then, you know, Lenny had a little felon out with him, too. You know, he didn't like Herb's lifestyle, you know, the getting high, doing drugs, and, you know, putting his good name on the line, pretty much, you know, with all the people that he dealt with. You know, you deal with, uh, you know, 26 years at NBC, you know the best of the best out in Hollywood and California and Anywhere in New York, you come to New York, you know the production people here, you know, like Silver Cup Studios or some of these places where you could get the cameras or the rigging or the lighting or, you know, the hang up around the ring and, and, and you know, the f effects or whatever it might be. You know, he knew all those people and he had relationships with people. So that's what he brought to the table. And then when Herb started sniffing people, it started making him look bad. And then he told people, don't take a check, get paid before, you know, make sure the money clears. He would tell them, I'm not responsible. And, and, you know, and, and then when Herb was partying too much, he tried to get him into rehab a few times, but Herb refused. You know, and um, um, then he, you know, like he said on the show, the, the worst thing Herb ever, Abrams ever did to him was die. Hmm. And that, that really hit home with me because I knew what type of relationship they had and how, how good of a friendship they had. Hmm. And then right. Steve Ray, another one, my old partner, would went wild. I mean... Herb believed in him so much. Herb believed in Steve Ray more than Steve Ray believed in himself. And, and he gave him a chance. Uh, Steve Ray started out in Kansas City with, uh, you know, Bob Geigel in the Kansas City territory. Bulldog Bob Brown was promoting out there. Bob Geigel. Um, Sonny Myers helped train him. Mm. So he he was only like a local guy out in Kansas City and then sent some promo pictures to Herb. Herb took a liking to him and gave him a gimmick. Wild thing, Steve Ray. And he had charisma, and he, you know, looked like one of the rockers, you know, like a Shawn Michaels or a Marty Jannetty. So that was his niche. And Herb was trying to build stars. I tried to use myself, the Power Twins, Steve Ray, Louis Spicoli, mm. uh, before he was Rad Radford with the WWF. So there was a lot of guys that he was trying to take talent and build. Uh, Salvatore Sincere, Tom Brandy, you know. Um, a lot of up-and-coming guys that, that really could have, you know, made did big things in the business. I don't want to veer off UWF for a minute. Um, I want to talk about my favorite clip of the show. Oh, All right, the sure. most annoying pro wrestling commentary or Can fan. I, go, I got to take. I was a actually going to have Mike Messier, friend of the show, call in, but I'm having what? problems getting him call in. The, okay. Not his issue, our issue. Okay. All right, Matt, are we go into the video. No. Oh, yeah. All right. So the idea behind the most annoying pro wrestling fan is uh, for me to get sick. Is I'm going to read a statement and I'm going to ask you, Sonny, to weigh in, and I'm going to wait to ask the Pharaoh to weigh uh, in and yeah. give your opinion, and then uh, we'll we'll see what what hits home. WWE Hall of Famer Tammy Stitch, better known as Sonny, is set to bank up to two hundred and eighty thousand dollars for her adult website. What? 
The 47-year-old was a huge hit with wrestling fans, particularly men, during the 1990s as was switched to starring in porn movies right. after stepping away from the ring. Right. But in more recent years, she's had a fallen foul of law and has only released was only released from prison about a year ago in February. Okay. Uh, uh, this February, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, on parole violations and relating guilty plans and multiple drunk driving cases. Okay. Tammy's twit. Tweet. Tweet. Not twit. Tweet. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Tammy's what? She says, God. in 1996, I was the most downloaded celebrity on AOL. True. 24 years later, in 2020, my goal is to be the number one content creator on at OnlyFans. Okay. In just 96 hours of having my page up, I'm in the top 1.8% of all creators Haters, this 47-year-old washed up past her prime biatch is on fire. <laughs> Sonny, you want to chime in? Hey, I wish her all the best. I mean, she, she's been on top. and You, you know, uh, you go up, you go down in this business, and she has some addiction problems and stuff, and I wish her all the best. Been praying for her. I knew her back when she broke into the business with Chris Candido. Um, she had a great run with the WWF, and um, – you know, she's continuing to make money. So that, that's the name of the game in the wrestling business. Make money. Get yourself over. And she's been over, and she's still over. So, you know, like she says, haters, you know, check her out. But she's always made money. And, you know, some of the stuff she does, you know, maybe I don't agree with personally, but she's got to do what's best for Tammy. So I wish her well in all her endeavors, and hopefully she'll get everything right this time. Or you could have just said, I'm a photographer. I'm a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> Farrell, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I'm only confused about one thing about this particular weekly episode of uh, The Most Annoying Wrestling Expert. Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing here that annoys me. She didn't, she didn't say one thing here that annoys me. Number I'm, one, I'm not saying Number one true. most downloaded celebrity. I agree. I remember that. I remember 1996. 24, 24 years. Later. Yeah, her goal is just to still kick ass, and anybody who doesn't like it can go suck it. I have no problem with this whatsoever. She, uh, she still rocks in my book. So, I don't know. She's been saying other things. I'm sorry. We'll get to that when we see her. Hey, Sonny. Maybe one day we'll have her in studio. Hello. Anyway, I love having that clip, <laughs> and thank you, Sonny Beach, and thank you, Jimmy Farrell, for weighing in. With that, we're going to take a quick commercial break and get back to the star of the show, Sonny Beach, and talk a little more UWF and Herb Abrams. Welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Faro, seen every Thursday, produced out of Indie Music TV in Ron Conkham in New York. And we're with our special guest, WWE and UWF superstar, Mr. Sonny Beach. Man, I can't believe the studio, how nice it is. Spacious. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's spacious. Like, it's like a real television room broadcast. on the couch. I mean, this is great. Got that guy going, yo, bro. <laughs> Hold on, man. My equipment's not working. All right, go ahead. Farrow, <laughs> smoke him if you got him. <laughs> All right, anyway. So, once upon a time, Herb was given about, Herb Abrams was given about a million dollars, and, uh, you know, clearly it did not, this is Mike's wording. I, I love how he's kind of so brutal. Clearly it did not work out. But do you feel that he used his money wisely 
And I have to add to it. Do you feel the fact that he was a was he a fan first before Wait, he was? Are a you saying man? I wrote that? You're asking the question. I mean, it's stupid. Well, I, I like that the, he uses no. money wisely. I don't know why you would I, ask I, that, I but think go he ahead. Was a fan first. You, he, a, he was a big you, fan. Wait a minute! You wrote that. Don't you throw me under the bus? All right, go anyway, ahead. you go know. Ahead. Sorry. No, honestly though, do you think that it, his his love for the business did he was he more of a fan than a businessman during this I, run? I think, I think he was. Um, well, he he had yeah. a goal. He wanted to he wanted to compete with Vince, and um, instead of just doing his own thing, which he should have done. Okay. And he should have had a, a business plan together. You know, this is how I want to take. You know, do this. He had all the talent. It, it wasn't a talent that that made him bad. Uh, was he was, was he squandered the money somehow? But it was expensive. Production equipment, renting, you know, studios putting tapes in the can i mean paying all the wrestlers i mean guys aren't cheap and like like you know colonel red said there's a markup in new york everybody tries to get the best deal out of you know the promoter you know they try to work the promoters the promoters are trying to work the boys it's one big work that's why they call wrestling business a work so who's getting five thousand a show who's getting ten thousand a show who's getting a thousand who's getting five hundred you know that that million dollars will go pretty quick you know, if, if if you want, you know, thirteen weeks in the can, it's going to cost a lot more than a million dollars. Trust well, me. Was his hatred for Vince McMahon real over the West Coast rejection, and did that play in at all? I think he always he always respected Vince. Believe it or not, okay. he always wanted to be like a Vince. But you know, did he hate Vince for the rejection? I think he hated him for the rejection. I mean, he took it really personal, which mm. I would have taken it personal too. Yeah, but. You know, Vince McMahon already had his empire built. You're not coming to offer Vince, you know, like you just found a, a, a gold mine somewhere that he never touched, a new vein of gold or something, or you're mining out in Nevada. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, what's in it for me? You know, what's in it for me? It what wasn't like he was get? struggling on the West Coast gonna, that he needed he representation. He was on the West Coast. Yeah. I mean, you know, he would sell out everywhere on the West Coast. Yeah. I was on plenty of shows out there. Do you, do you feel that at least he guarded enough respect from Vince McMahon that Vince perhaps paid some attention to him Vince during the, the history of UWF? probably find out what type of guy he was. That's why he probably set up a meeting with him because he goes, here's this upstart guy from California mm -hmm. trying to start a promotion. Um, I don't know if it was before he got Andre or after he got Andre uh, mm. to come out in Rosita, but um, he did have the meeting. I don't know the timeline on the meeting that he did have with him, but after he was rejected, he wanted to go full force after Vince, which he should have just worried about, you know, working with – Sports Channel America and, and putting good quality tapes and shows out there because if you would have put a good product out there you would have got renewed your season would have got renewed they would have ordered more tapes or another season of UWF more episodes so that's what you really wanted put together some shows some overseas shows and then you're making money you know on the live house shows maybe merchandise you know they had the 800 number for a while you know 1-800-UWF whatever um, they had that the Herbie Cookies. What? The what? Oh, Herbie Cookies. I wanted to bring Monty and Farrell a little gift for their new studio, so I bought them a, a few Herbie Cookies. You brought us, you brought us Herbie Cookies. Um, the Herbie Cookies were made. The Herbie Cookies were made out of uh, from Casey Cakes. Is out of that right? Port Main Street, nice. Port Long Island, Casey Cakes. Give her a big shout out. Uh, she's she's located baker. at 256 Main Street in Northport. Sweet. Again, I, uh, I'm pretty sure my wife goes there often. But if I could show these Casey on the camera, Cakes. I think they're awesome. Hold on. 
So I can't believe we have a real life Herbie nicely cookie. Nicely wrapped. Oh, You've really? got the that's the Herb Abrams what is Mr. Electricity the, Cookie. The Mr. Electricity Cookie. Shh, right. Get a zoom in on that. Wait one. a minute. Where's the yellow boots? They're coming. They're, They're coming. Okay. They're okay. coming. Okay. Then you've got Herb with Bruno, I think, right? That's them commentating. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the most awesome iconic uh, duos in, in wrestling history right there. And then you've got the boots. The that's Herb the UWF boots. yellow boots that he wore at Black By the Jack way, that World. Mick Foley story is hilarious that he tells Mick that, uh, you know, wait till the crowd sees this. Yeah, he brought, <laughs> oh he brought Mick God. up to his suite over at uh, MGM Grand, and he showed him his ostrich-skin yellow boots. He thought he this was going to be the center that of... That was the center of attention right. that he made. Oh then you've got the Mick Foley Herbie cookie. That's wow. the Mick Foley UWF nice. cookie. Oh, and then, a nice day. Mick Foley just sent me some cookies uh, that we just opened up on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight show, and uh, we had some of those. By the way, I'm the worst of them, like covering the cookies as I'm watching. The <laughs> UWF <laughs> Belt Herbie Cookie. That's I don't even thing. think I want to eat these. I don't think it's not, they're too nice to eat. You, you guys can break we'll one put the belt with the belt. Whatever one you want. And here's probably the most important Herbie Cookie, the Sunny Beach Herbie ah. Cookie. That's my favorite. Look at that. Now I can say, eat me. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Hello. Um, that won't need a hunk, by the way. All right. Explain <laughs> this one. for Sonny. Sonny, explain this one for me. Yes. Herb, what's the deal with the whole lipstick and perfume thing? What? He had, uh, I don't know if it was a fetish or if he was just like, he had some type of obsession with lipstick and perfume. Uh, if you went to a restaurant and somebody was wearing perfume, he would, wouldn't want to go there. Um, he would move, ask to be moved at his table. Same thing with lipstick. He wouldn't want anybody coming out with lipstick. He would ask my wife, please don't wear lipstick if we're going out for dinner or something. Really? Or perfume because something. Wait a minute. Him off. So he would say to your wife, not even go through you, just say, hey, please don't wear lipstick? Yeah, him, I mean, my wife and you know my whole family was friends with her. He would be at my house for dinners and, right. you know, and all that and holidays, whatever, birthday parties. So, make a long story short, uh, one Christmas Eve, I had Herb and the Power Twins and a bunch of people over at my house for dinner uh, Christmas Eve. So, they all came over. Where were you living at the time? Were I was you living here in New York? Brooklyn, New York. Are oh, you in Brooklyn? Okay. Humboldt Street over there in yep. Williamsburg. So, we have a house there. and We were living there at the time when I first got married. So, everybody came over and Herb came and the Power Twins brought it. One of them, Larry, I think, brought a date. And uh, Herb came in. He had like a $3,000 cashmere peacoat that he was wearing. Herb always dressed very nice, and he always had nice clothes and suits and stuff. So, make a long story short, uh, he put his jacket on top of one of the girls' jackets there, and it had perfume on it. Mm. So, Herb lost his mind, and the girl was wearing perf uh, lipstick, so he made her change, you know, take the lipstick off with a napkin. So, you know, he's quirky about that. He had his own little quirks and, you know, whatever it was. So, out of respect for Herb, you know, we'd listen to him, you know, and um, I don't know if, you know, maybe some of the hookers tied him down and covered him with lipstick and perfume. I don't know, but he was deathly afraid of it. It was like, you know, kryptonite to Superman. You know, he didn't want lipstick or perfume around him, which and all the boys knew that and respected that. But that was the, the Herb story. And when when Christmas Eve came and, and left, he left his jacket there, $3,000 jacket. He goes, keep it, throw it out, donate it to Goodwill. He goes, I don't want it. I can't wear it. And wow. I said, well, get it dry clean. Nope, I don't want it. So he left his jacket. And my wife's cousin, Mike LaCicero, got the jacket. Nice. We took it to dry cleaner, cleaned it, fit him perfectly. So Perfect. he got a $3,000 jacket for free that Christmas. <laughs> when Herb, Herb was left, left in the cold with no jacket. That 
That's quite a fetish, man. That's a very costly fetish yeah, you going kidding. on there. Yeah, very costly. But, you know, it was funny like that, you know. And, um, he, you know, certain restaurants, you know, we'd go to, it was funny, you know. He'd make jokes. Or if there was lipstick on a glass, he wouldn't drink, you know, from it. You know, he'd see lipstick on a glass. We were at, well, I'll um, be honest. If I saw lipstick on a glass, either, yeah, I think I'd we were at, off uh, one of his... I was eating at his house for one of the Jewish, like, Passover or something, mm-hmm. you know, one of the holidays I went to Herb's mother's house. They live in Little Neck, New York, uh, Great Neck, New York, mm-hmm. off of Little Neck Parkway. So we went over there, and they had some type of dessert. I think it was compote or something. It was red, and it was on a napkin, and Herb thought it was lipstick. He lost his mind <laughs> over the holiday. He went to his room, and it was like, had to shower and come back out. It Stop was, it. It was a great thing, and his Herb's mother went out there. Come on, Herb. It was, uh, it was just all jello or gelatin. No, it was lipstick, and he, he was freaking out over it. He was in his room for like two hours, wouldn't come out for the holiday. Wow. When, like, he was okay. ma- when he was making himself the star, right? Did it, did, how, what were the wrestlers' reactions? Did anybody, like, did you guys talk amongst each, amongst each other and go, we what did. is he doing? I mean, or did anyone like, try know, to stop him? It was or? a wrestling show, not a comedy show, you know. Guys, you right. know, some of the old, like Bruno would get upset, Captain Lou, John Tolis. You know, Tolis was, you know, would rip him a new ass. He would curse at Herb. What the hell are you doing? You know, this is wrestling. You know, we're here to wrestle. We're not here to watch your bullshit. You know, and, you know, some of the guys would get really offended by was it. Was Herb Abrams ahead of his time? I think he was yeah. uh, to a certain degree. Uh-huh. I think you I know, feel he, he was too. I yeah. think, you know, some of the stuff that Vince was doing, Herb yeah. did it before him. Mm-hmm. But Herb, Vince always wanted to be, a, you know, a wrestler. But, you know, his father didn't let him. His father made him be a commentator first. You know, all those years when he was doing the commentary. And then Vince started working out. And then Vince started getting huge. And then Vince started going in the ring. And then his son Shane was in the ring. And then his daughter Stephanie was in the ring. And his wife even was in the ring. So, you know, the whole family. And, what, you know, he put his time in Vince, and he could do whatever he wants. If anybody could do get in the ring, it should be the McMahons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they paid their time. They paid their dues. They made wrestling what it is today. And I'll take my hat off to them. Like Vince McMahon or not, you got to respect him. Absolutely. I see. I think I think Absolutely. that may be the difference, right? You're a very successful business owner. Vince McMahon, very successful business owner. Okay. Herb Abrams seemed like he wanted to be one of the boys more than he wanted to be a business owner, and that might have been a demise of you. Well, you see UWF. the yellow boots. He wanted to be one of all the boys used to wear cowboy boots. Out. You see Hogan with his boots and the jeans, and you know, and yeah. everybody, Jake the Snake. I mean, everybody had cowboy boots at the time. Back in the late 80s, mid 80s, early 90s, Dusty, Magnum TA, everybody wearing boots. Herb got his own custom made yellow ostrich, you know, boots, and he had UWF put on them <laughs> for Blackjack Brawl. And then he had the yellow blazer, you know, and yeah. he, he made himself, you know, into a character, you know, and. It is what it is, you know, and Herb wanted to be somebody, and he became somebody. He did. Maybe not in this, this lifetime, you know, when he was alive, but in his death, look. It's been growing ever since. Dark side of the ring. He's like a cult hero. Right. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, he was always good to me and my family. He was good to a lot of the boys. Gave them first-class accommodations. We weren't staying at the Motel 6s. We were staying at the Hilton's or the Hyatt's or, right. you know, the nice hotels. MGM Grand, you have your own suite. You know, we weren't down in the, you know, Howard Johnson's or, you know, nothing wrong with Howard Johnson's or any of these hotels. I stayed at them all, you know, in my lifetime. But he would have us in, in our own rooms when guys would be sharing rooms. Everybody would have their own room. Everybody would have transportation to the arena and back. Limo transportation, town car, 
he, a bus maybe, a shuttle bus. He made sure everybody was taken care of. And you could ask any one of the boys that. Sometimes their checks would bounce. Sometimes the boys were a little had more hindsight, and they would go to the check cashing place like myself at Blackjack Brawl and cash my check before I came back to New York from right. Las Vegas. Yeah. And I got paid. A lot of guys did get paid. The Power Twins got paid because they knew where the check cashing was. A couple other boys got paid out there. So, you know, the smart guys, you know, and he took care of guys. It might have taken him a while, but one way or the other, he would take care of the boys. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then I want to get into the demise of Herb Abrams. Um, I also want to give, again, a shout-out to Casey's Cake Custom Cakery, 256 Main Street in Northport with these wonderful, wonderful Herbie cookies. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Faro, seen every Thursday, produced out of indie music television in Ron Conkham in New York. I want to remind people, next Thursday, June 18th, it'll be M&P together, discussing the week's action in wrestling and wrestling news. And then on June 25th, we've got Hall of Famer uh, Tito Santana in studio, Arriba. sitting where sunny beaches, Arriba. And uh, we'll be covering the career of Tito Santana. Tito was with us once before. Another great guy. He is a great guy. Legend. And, uh, and then we may have a very special surprise to announce a fan. So hang in there. We're not going to announce it yet, but it could be a very special Quit surprise. Quit teasing me. I'm not Fine. Telling. Go on. I will not reveal my yeah, sources. All right. What do, what do you got there, Farrell? Well, I wanted to ask you. We both grew up. Watching Vince McMahon as an announcer originally, and his partner back in those days was Bruno Sammartino. Right. I noticed when I watched the UWF, Bruno, of course, being the color commentator, he seems so much more relaxed. Was Bruno happy at UWF, and how much interaction did you have with Bruno in general at the tapings? I think he was happy. I think Bruno was trying to give back at that time to you know help out help a new promotion start out. And at that time, you know, him and Vince had a little bit of a falling out, you know, with the steroids and stuff with the, you know, the, the industry and with, um, I don't know if, you know, his son David had anything to do with it, but I think, you know, uh, Bruno always wanted his son David to follow in his footsteps, you know, right. and maybe he didn't want him to follow in his footsteps, but David wanted to. And, mm. you know, Vince gave him a little bit of a push, but not a big push, you know, back starting out. And they tagged, you know, him and Bruno together a few times. And I think uh, he was trying to get David into, you know, with the UWF and, uh, you know, trying to get him back into wrestling or some of that stuff too. But What's your thoughts on David, just real quick? He was a nice guy too. I, I had a great relationship Do you with feel David. he could have gone further in, in, the, in the business or was I it his attitude? But I don't know if he really wanted to. I mean, David's his own man and David had to make what, what decisions he wanted for him and his family. Mm -hmm. He was living in Atlanta, Georgia and he was, uh, you know, doing personal training and other stuff down there. And um, I don't know if it was his dream to wrestle or if it was his father's dream to wrestle or, you know, I never really... You know, ask him really about it. But did did Herb ever ask Bruno to get in the ring? 
to return to the ring? I think Bruno was already past his prime, and I don't think he would have. Uh, Interesting. I, okay. Know, I don't think he wanted to get back in the ring. So it's not like Ric Flair who would get in the ring right now. No, no, Bruno. <laughs> Just checking. He would. Ric Flair would get in the ring right if, now. If Bruno wanted to, Bruno yeah. was in great shape to the day he died. Right. He would work out yeah. every day. I mean, Bruno was in Still big boy. great physical shape. Oh. I mean, and, and that's another thing I respected about him, you know, and in his 60s, you know, he still had that big barrel yeah, chest sure. and mm-hmm. big arms. And, bear know, strength, bear. Big legs. I mean, he was yeah. he was in, in great shape. You know, look at him when he was commentating. He looked like he could still wrestle, you know, when he was with. Uh, Is he the greatest pro wrestler of all time, Bruno Samartino? I, I know that's a one tough. of them. Okay. I, I definitely, you know, I think Bruno was one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest showmen. Ric Flair, mm-hmm. uh, Harley Race. Harley Race. Jack Briscoe. Dusty Rhodes. Can we get Terry Funk maybe? In Terry there? Funk, another one. Dory Funk. Dory. Uh, you know, the Briscoe brothers, they were huge down in Florida. See, you, you know, it's Stan funny. Hansen. I think about when people, you know, we've discussed this before, mm. and I'm a WWE guy. So when I see some, when some of these guys talk about it, they're like, oh, those names, um, though. I think it, maybe it was even Santana when he was talking about Savage when he first started wrestling Savage. Savage was coming from the South, and he's like, this is not how we do it here in the Northeast. Northeast right. is punching, kicking, r- ripping each other's faces right. off. Distinctively not different. Just, you know, Even catch then, a, sure. Catch, catch right. can wrestling. Yeah. Sure. And obviously Harley Race was a great wrestler, but I like, I never got it. Like, I, I never did. got I, it. I, I don't did. know why. Dory Funk Jr. never got it. Got right. Terry Technician. Funk. Got Terry Funk. I just never got it. That's all. I just like, Jack I don't know. Briscoe, another guy. Right. You know? Understood. Guys, you know, they're all, out of the 60s, you know, Black trunks, black boots, you know, they're telling a story. Mm-hmm. You know, Dory Funk, you go an hour. I, I used to see Jack and Briscoe and Dory Funk. Uh, it was like, just, you know, it was like a flowing match, you know, like move after move after move, you know, and it was just flowing. And it was just, you know, it was like, you know, spinning toe hold, get back up. And then Jack tried to put him in a figure four, and then a little small package, and then he'd kick out. And there wasn't 100 false finishes, you know, right. like they are today. Right. Today's, AEW, today's a total different act. Much every, different pace. Every high spot's a, a finish. I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, what's going on? I'm back and forth, back high flying. I mean, how many moonsaults and, you know, th- Stuff off the ring, off the top rope, can you do without hurting somebody or pinning somebody? And, and, and Stan Hansen told me, he goes, you won't see me flying off that top rope. He goes, <laughs> no. I'm staying down on the ground. I'm low gravity guy. He goes, more chances you take of getting hurt when you're getting off your feet and getting up in the air. He goes, yeah, sure. hurt bad. You know what, though? Even, by the, even by the attitude era, those guys were, were already thumbing their nose at that generation because Scott Hall on our show referred to Dory Funk as Bory Funk. Right, yeah. Bory Funk. Right, yeah. Like, Boring, yeah. you know? So I guess it's really uh, one man's garbage is another man's gold when it comes to this stuff. I always felt that Briscoe, Funk Jr., Vern Gagne, Luthez, they're technicians. They weren't there yeah, for their – Buddy Rogers. I mean, right. there's a handful of guys. But he know, had that... personality, though, Buddy Rogers. Of course. You know, some of these guys were just strictly there because they were technicians. And, and John Rizzi brought all these people together at his conventions. He brought Buddy Rogers. He brought Luthez, Ric Flair, um, how much did that Terry type Funk. of convention cost? Man, look at Mike immediately. Let me Billy see. Graham, <laughs> That's like a million dollars in itself. I yeah. mean, all these people he had at his conventions, John Arizzi. And, and, and this is when Herb came in. Herb, you know, was schmoozing with all these people. And then, you know, John Tolis. And then, you know, they're all talking. And then the Cauliflower Alleys and, and all these mm. other, you know, Hall of Fames. You know, they have the, the Hall of Fame down in Texas now. They used to have it up in Amsterdam, New York and stuff. Uh, supposedly they're bringing it back to New York. 
I'm not sure what's going on, but you know, all these things. And, and you know, what, what really gets me is all the boys, you know, they talk about unions and, and you know, nobody has pensions. Nobody has insurance. Uh, a good friend of mine, I, I wrestled with down in Peach State Wrestling and Southern Championship and, and All Japan Bro Wrestling, Joel Deaton, outlaw Joel Deaton. He had a stroke a few months back. He doesn't have any money now left to, to, to pay for his medical bills. Jerry Gray, another hand out of Tampa, you know, a championship wrestling from Florida guy. Um, he, he, he's had cancer. Mm. You know, and I see all these GoFundMe pages. Chris Jericho, God bless him. Mm. He helps so many people out. Um, donating. And a lot of times people don't even know he's donating to them. I think guys like Jericho and Cena – you know, realize they're as rich as they are because of these some of other these guys wrestlers. Away. There's, away. there's no insurances and no health care. There's no when you get old and, and you you go through three or four divorces and marriages and you made your top money and then you can't wrestle anymore because in your 60s or 70s, what do you do? You go to these fan fest. You try to make a couple of bucks selling your pictures or gimmicks. Mm. Do you I feel sorry for a lot of the boys when I see them having a struggle out there and. You know, thank God I, I was smart enough and I had hindsight to start my own business when I saw, you know, wrestling wasn't going to pay the bills, you know, after I left Vince and, you know, UWF and everything. Yeah, I paid the bills for a few years, but I wasn't a top guy. Thank God I was always working and mm-hmm. I got to make money in the business. I didn't lose money by no means. When I was first starting out, I was sleeping in my car. I couldn't afford a hotel or we three or four of us would share a hotel. Well, I you think know, I think last time you were on, you said you were making like five grand a week there or something, right? Yeah, when I left Vince, I was making big money because I was on the Hogan cards. Yeah, it's a big like money. That. That's so big money tickets. I saved my money. Yeah, you know, you know, you wrestle in Madison Square Garden one night, you're out in Denver Arena the next night, Rosemont Horizon, you're down in the Tampa Dome, you know, or whatever, Sun Dome in Tampa, Miami Auditorium. All right, so we we got about five minutes left. I'm going to ask you one question about Abrams. Um, one question, one that question, and then I'll leave it to Farrow to finish it up. Sure. First for you, as a wrestler, what? who did you want headlining the card because you knew you were going to draw bigger money? UWF or WWF? Both. When I was with Vince... It was always a Hogan card. You were always guaranteed a sellout with Hogan, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, Andre. So they always, those are the guys. Those four guys drew a lot of money. Now, if it was an Abrams card, you wanted Dr. Death, Steve Williams, maybe Bam Bam Bigelow, um, some of the legends, maybe uh, Ivan Koloff or Bob Backlund when they were, you know, on the cards. Um, When Sid came in. Uh, Danny Spivey. There was a lot of guys like that. Even, uh, you know, Warlord, Barbarian. Um, back when Demolition was on top, you know, even mm. Bret Hart and, 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 you know, Nightheart, you know, and Bulldogs. You know, there was always like a, a B, and C card when I was with Vince. You know, they were running two main events a night uh, at some of these bigger, yeah. you know, crisscrossing the back. We were on fire back in the 80s. When No Holds Barred came out, mm-hmm. I mean, we were running, you know, across the country. We'd even have shows going to the colleges, campuses, high schools, National Guard armories. You know, we had so many guys working. You, at the you used time. to do two shots, too, on weekends, we would do right? do double shots yeah. sometimes, you know, afternoon matinee show and an evening show. How fun is that, man? You know, it was great. I mean, it was a great time to be in the business, you know, and especially you. for me, wrestling with all my heroes and stuff. How great I got is a that? car with Andre and Dusty and, you know, seeing all these guys, Bill, Bill Eadie, uh, Mass Superstar, and then Demolition. And, Unbelievable. You know, all these guys I looked up to, Tony Atlas, you know, back in Georgia Championship, wrestling too. I mean, 
I got to live and I got to wrestle some of the biggest names in the business. I wrestled Bruiser Brody. I wrestled mm. Abdul the Butcher, Kamala. Wow. Uh, Did you get Ager. checked after you wrestled Abdullah? <laughs> Just checking. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I didn't really, you know, Sorry. juice and all that. Like all the Got to watch out for those divots. Yeah, you didn't have to juice for Abdullah. You know, sometimes, you know, you had to, but, you know, and, you know, and you didn't get paid extra a lot of times. It was just for the fans to, you know, make the match believable if you were doing an angle or something like that. But nowadays, since, you know, wrestling's, you know, a work and everybody knows it and it's been exposed a million times, you know, we could talk about marks and about works and yeah. kayfabe. Yeah. There's no more kayfabe. No, there isn't. You know, all right. My final question to you: yes. What is the true story to the demise of Herb Abrams? Right. So, Dark Side of the Ring says, "Hey, we think he's still alive." They left that. They said that he was covered in oil and cocaine. They said that he was molested. Somebody else said he was molested by police officers. Not a good time to mention this right now, but I'm just saying what they said. I don't think any of that happened. The molestation uh, that definitely didn't happen. So, what do, what do you believe happened? I think Herb had an underlying health issue. I think he had an enlarged heart or, or, or some heart type of heart disease. And I think that cocaine just attributed to that coming out more. He had a massive heart attack, and that's how he died. Maybe it was a lot of cocaine in his body, in his system, and he probably didn't sleep for two or three days. The last time I saw Herb Abrams was that Sunday. He was at my house. He had dinner with us before he came back to his house in uh, Great Neck, before he went to his offices in the city that Monday and Tuesday. I think he passed away Tuesday going into Wednesday morning overnight, but I didn't see him after, you know, he left my house on that Sunday. Mm. Um, definitely know he's dead because I was at the funeral and I helped bury him. So I was one of the pallbearers, and I, I definitely uh, went out to the cemetery and with his family and went back to their house and sat Shiva and stuff with his family. And, um, you know, he, he's definitely not alive. He's definitely not an informant. He's definitely not... You know, out there because he definitely would have surfaced some way somehow. Mm. Um, the real story about Herb Abrams, my story, Rick Allen's story, mm. Sonny Beach story. He always treated me good with respect, treated my family well, treated most of the boys well. A couple guys didn't get paid here and there. Maybe some of the girls didn't get paid here and there. But was he a, a mean-spirited person? No, he didn't have a mean bone in his body. Was he a fun guy to be around? Yes. Did. The, the drugs and alcohol maybe contribute to his demise and, and his business and the way he ran things, yes. But Herb Abrams was a good guy. He was my friend, and uh, that's the way I want to remember him. Um, a lot of boys will tell you the same thing. You ask Mick Foley, you ask John Arizzi, you ask George Napolitano. They all got good things to say about him, and they all tell you the bad things too. But deep down, everybody likes Herb. Mm. Why do you think so many guys work for him? Because he had that personality. He was believable. You want to know why people wanted to get with Herb? Because they liked him. And that's the main, you know, story about Herb. Yes, he passed doing things like Brian Blair said. He went out doing two things he loved, cocaine and hookers. Yeah. And like Mick Foley said, where would he be today? Probably doing time. He'd probably be in jail. <laughs> right. But um, he, everybody liked him. And everybody, I mean, the dark side of the ring was a, a – a tribute to Herb Abrams and what he tried to accomplish in this business. I, think I try to look at the good, and I try to find the good in everything that I do and try to su surround myself with positive, you know, people in my life. Good for you. you know, and try not to be around the negatives. And I don't like people talking negative about people. If they're not here to defend themselves, why talk about them, talk bad about them? Right. Everybody knows what happened, and everybody has their own right to believe whatever they want to believe, just like what's going on today in our world, society. 
you know, everybody's got a choice, you know, to make good, good over bad, good over evil. You know, do the right thing. Pick the right thing. That's that's all I can say. And he always treated me well. So I have nothing but fond memories of Herb Abrams. Solid message, my friend. Solid message. Farrow, send us out. What do you got? Last question. Do you feel that he is underrated as far as his legacy goes? I'm sure he's been given attention with the Dark Side special. But do you feel that he's underrated? And is he a Hall of Famer to you, even though I can't picture Vince ever giving him his day in the sun? But is he... I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, he tried to he tried to live out his dream. He had a, a dream about being a wrestling promoter, and he made that happen. He made a dream about being on television and, and, and putting wrestling shows on television. He made that happen. So, and he was friend. He was liked by wrestlers. Wrestlers even they wanted to be around Herb Abrams. I wanted to be around Herb Abrams. Everybody wanted to work for Herb Abrams, or else they wouldn't be there. And a lot of guys didn't take a lot of money to work for him either. Believe it or not, a lot of guys cut their pay in half to come work for Herb mm. just to say they're working and be on TV so they could get other bookings with other promotions. And he, left his, he left his mark in the business, right? He, he definitely left his mark in the he wrestling did. entertainment business. And I could say that hands down. Is there a Hall of Fame for Herb? I don't know. I'm not that guy to judge that, or I'm not one to vote for the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I would put him in the Hall of Fame for trying at least. Mm-hmm. He he did try, and I give him credit for trying. A lot of people have tried and, and failed miserably worse than Herb or stiffed a lot of the boys a lot worse than Herb. But at least he tried. At least he's got a legacy where he has been on television. He's had his own documentary, Dark Side of the Ring, about him. So I don't have one of me yet. And his belts are made out of real material. He definitely had a lot of belts. I can, <laughs> I can assure you of that. He had oh a lot of God. belts from the midgets all the way through the women's, the midgets. The midget championship, yeah, that was yeah. We want to thank Sonny Beach <laughs> for coming in, Sonny. We love having you in. Thank you. Hey, we could go for pleasure. hours and hours Good. and hours. It never gets old with you guys. And it's I, I got, fresh. I got to tell you something, too. Your positivity is incredible. I, I, I'm glad I can call you a friend, that's hey, for sure. Uh, I got a second chance in life with a heart attack, with a coronavirus. I'm just happy to be here. I love giving back to the fans, giving back to the wrestling community, seeing my brothers and sisters in the wrestling business. I I enjoy that. I don't get to see a lot of them. I live in Long Island. A lot of guys live in Florida and all over the country. So when I do get to see the rest of the guys that are still with us, you know, God bless Johnny Walker, Dusty Rhodes, all the guys that came before us and paved that road for us. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, you got to have respect for these guys. And I respect all them, what they did for me, all the words of advice, Bruno San Martino, Captain Lou, Johnny Valiant, Iron Mike Sharp. So many guys that are gone today, King Kong Bundy, mm. you know, you got to praise them. And not enough people do. Well, hopefully the big event takes place this year and you'll be with us on the gimmick table, which we love doing. Monty Nefaro can be seen on YouTube, Facebook Live on the Monty Nefaro page, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor, Channel 115 every Tuesday from 8.30 to 9 p.m. And for the early risers, Saturday, 6.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. We could also be caught on RTF Sports Network every Friday, their anchor show from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. This Sunny Beach interview will be on tomorrow. Um... This is Mike Monty. This is the Pharaoh. Until next week, I hope you've had your Herbie cookies later. Enjoy the Herbie cookies, boys.